Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, Sports to the Max. We can take those texts all night if you want. Do you believe that referees or umpires have a vendetta against somebody, particularly maybe when you played in high school or something like that? 651-461-9226. Joining us now, the one and only Terry Steinbach, former all-star MVP, world champion, and a whole lot more on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Uh, Terry, I don't know. Of course, in Oakland, you had this to an extent. When you came up here and played with the Twins, you didn't uh, because you're in the Dome, but... How, what would you do if you had to play outside in, in an April like this? Is I mean, is there much you, that, that you can do? Do do do. You're from Minnesota, so you'd have been seen as hardy. But I'm sure you had some some Oakland nights that were a little chilly in the early in the year and beyond. Well, we had Oakland nights that were cold, but I, my my worst one ever. We opened up in Milwaukee, and mm-hmm. it was thirty thirty three degrees at game time. Thirty <laughs> by the time the game ended, it, it was opening, and that was Old County Stadium, so they had. Sure, sixty, seventy thousand people, and then you know the next three days were canceled because it was you know, it was freezing. Yep. But yeah, you, you it, it's a mental thing. I mean, it's a physical thing. I mean, if you go in there thinking you're cold and freezing and this is going to stink, you're not going to perform well. It's going to be brutal. So you have to tell yourself, hey, we're just going to go out there and play, and we got to do the best that we can with that particular situation and 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 make it work were you seen as the hardy minnesotan did you have to work on some of those warm weather guys like uh, mcguire and them that never experienced that it was uh not so much uh the the states guys our, our latin players at least out of oh yeah you know they were it was harder for them um to figure that out you know to 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 deal with the cold um but but again, you know, like I said, you you razz each other, you you know, you tease each other about it, and then you go out there and try to win a ball game. Now, now we were just having this conversation because the Timberwolves are in the midst of this, where the Memphis coach says they got uh, uh, screwed over the other night, and then the Timberwolves say, "Wait a second, we've been screwed over plenty of times in this series too." As to, as to referees, whether or not there's favoritism, explain. Have you ever? Um, uh, felt that did you ever feel as, as when you're playing at any level in the professionals that hey this umpire wants us to lose or they like the other team better than us? Um, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Um, we we found out oh um, when Roger Clemens got thrown out by Clooney in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, yep. And then Renee Latchman, I think our third base coach at that time. He was summoned, you know, to testify, and he was a player's manager, you yep. know. So he said, "Well, I, I don't, I just didn't hear. I don't, I don't know what happened. I, you know, I, 
I, I didn't hear anything. And the umpires didn't like it. And we uh, distinctly remember the following year, um, all of a sudden, you know, pitches we weren't getting and, and calls at the play we weren't getting. And, and you know, you, you kind of think about it after a while. Um, you know, it, it, it comes back to we think it was from that. And then I see what you're saying. So he, he didn't back the umpire, so to speak, huh? He didn't back the umpire, right? He backed the player. You know, okay. and basically, instead of throwing Clemens under the bus, Yep. You know, because we all heard exactly. Which is what they wanted him to do, yep. Yeah, yeah. But he just, he, he went the other way. He backed the player, and, you know, we kind of, I mean, I, it, it wasn't terrible, you know. Um, but, yeah, we, we felt that. And, and also, uh, behind the plate, you know, there was many times umpires, uh, let's say a, a batter showed the umpire up the previous at bat. Yep. And I'll throw Ken, Ken, Ken Kaiser was, you know, awesome at that. I mean, he, he <laughs> I was bet. chased on. He wouldn't. Yep, when this guy comes up, he tapped me on the shoulder, get outside. I mean, and I mean, I'm outside, and he goes almost in the other batter's box. And it's, I mean, he was calling strikes before the ball ever left the hand. Cheapers, <laughs> <laughs> try that. But yeah. is there also, though, did you find, and you probably, because you lived as a young player, and then you guys got to be really, really good, and... um did you see a difference between the calls you'd get when the A's became world champions versus when the A's were the up and comers? Without a question, you know, and, and yes, I think the, the established teams, the proven teams, the proven pitchers, I mean, if you run out there with a veteran pitching staff, you know, like, like we had, I mean, you're, you're getting the close calls. You're getting the borderline pitches with, without a doubt. And it's kind of because, you know, you've proven yourself. Now, I've also been on teams that didn't win, you know, and yep. I would go to the umpire starting the game. Hey, look, I mean, Mike Lincoln pitched a game against the Yankees. And, Mike, and, former and was, former Twins pitcher, yep. Yep, yep. And, and and I was catching, I can't remember who the umpire was, but I just said, hey, look, you know, we, we got a young guy, a rookie out there. The only thing I'm going to ask is the guy throws a strike, call the strike. You know, he hasn't really deserved that two inches off the plate, in or yep. out. But, you know, and, and the umpire kind of looked at me, oh, Okay, you know, and it was one of the best umpire games I think that I've caught. He really? did a great job. Mike Lincoln threw it through the ball. I mean, balls are balls, strikes are strikes, and hey, whatever happened, happened. If the, if the Yankees beat him, you know, on on his pitches, so be it. But don't lose or or or, or don't have the outcome uh, determined by a, you know extremely questionable pitch or, or or even a ridiculous pitch. Okay, Dana Kicker texted me, and this is a fair one because. Uh, you and I and Dana have all played for these guys. Did you yeah. ever? Did you ever play for Noam against Sleepy Eye when the Cook brother twins were umping a game? Because <laughs> you won't forget that experience, will you, Terry? <laughs> how, how, how could you not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every time you played them, they had the Cook brothers there. <laughs> yeah, the Cook brothers. Yeah, thanks, Dana, for bringing that up again. Still too soon, Dana. Still too soon. <laughs> Still too soon. That's right. We all had the Cook brothers against Sleepy Eye. That's why we didn't go out and play Sleepy Eye. Yeah. Good. Guy. Guys, too, but yeah, when you yeah. went to sleep, yeah, you never knew what you're going to get, especially if you're from New Alm of all places. Yeah, correct, correct. Uh, so, Terry, let's move on to the twins. Byron Buxton, when you see a glimpse of, um, what do you see as the ceiling on this guy? I've I've just been so impressed, you know, and and to see where he had been and where he is coming to, you know, I mean, a few years ago, we were, you know, we were all questioning, hey, is this guy? Gonna gonna be the guy, and the work ethic that he put in, the uh, uh, amount of preparation that he's done, and and he's earned the results that he's getting. And 
I don't think there's a ceiling on what he can do, you, you know, and, and we're all going to say this, you know, it's just we got to keep the guy on the field. He has to yep. keep himself. We, I mean, he has to be on the field. And, you know, if he's on the field, he, he's, he's turning himself into, you know, a major impact player. I, I mean, a game changer. And so the key is, you know, try to keep him healthy. I mean, he's got to try to keep him keep himself healthy, you know, and, and, he, and he's not – uh, uh, getting hurt because he's out of shape or anything like that. No. You know, it, 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 it's that aggressiveness and, and all that. And that, and that's the hardest thing to take out of a guy. You know, what what are you supposed to tell him? Don't go after ball or don't slide too hard or don't run too fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, but yeah, I, I've been extremely impressed. He's, he's fun to watch. He's the uh, spark plug of that team right now. He's got a lot of energy, you know, that he's bringing out there. And it's, it seems sincere. You know, it doesn't seem like, you know, well, I guess I got to do this. I mean, he's he's passionate uh, about how he's playing ball right now. Well, you know, when you see him go to right field like he did this last week a couple of times, not just home run, but a couple of times, is that what tells you that he's become a complete hitter and, and he understands not just how to swing hard or, you know, his strikes, but he's understanding how to become, a, 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 you know, a top flight hitter? Is, is, are those the signs you look for? 100%. I bet. Uh, and I haven't talked to Byron, but I bet if you were to ask him, hey, what his hitting approach was two, two, three years ago, yeah. you know, he'd probably say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to pull. I'm going to try to hit home runs, you know, and all that. And I think what he now has turned himself into a, a fantastic hitter because pitchers have the control to keep that ball away from you. You know, if you're looking in and, and, and that's and that's all you have to look for, they're going to eat you up away. And, you know, uh, uh, Cabrera, you know, once he got his 3,000 hit, yeah. I think made the comment, you know, hey, you know, they're pitching me like I got to learn to hit the ball away, you know. And, and so, yes, I love it when I see the players going the other way. And uh, it to me, it itself corrects your swing. More often than not, we as hitters might get a little pull conscious and all of a sudden, you know, rolling over to third, rolling over to short, yep. you know, speaking right-handed. And the way to correct that is, is to let the ball get deeper, stay inside the ball, and shoot that ball up the middle. And if you do that, first of all, your average is going to be higher. And next thing you know, all of a sudden, yes, I am hitting a home run to right. I am hitting a home run to center. And you're never going to lose, you know, your your your, your pull power. You're always going to have that. But that pull power can sometimes get you into trouble. Miguel Cabrera comes to town this week. Uh, you managed against him or coached against him. Uh, often, what what makes him special? What, what why you know? I, I didn't realize how impressive his numbers were until they until he got that three thousand hit and you start breaking yeah. it down. And you go, holy mackerel! And of course, Gardy had him uh, in Detroit as well, and he used to tell me, you know, this this guy is like nothing I've ever seen. What, what is it? To me, the the, the guys like that, they're, one, they're special. But the thing that jumps out to me is discipline. You don't ever see these great hitters like that. They don't get frazzled if they get two strikes. They don't get frazzled if they miss their pitch. They don't get upset if, let's say, umpire made a bad call. They just seem uh, confident, comfortable, and relaxed at the plate, regardless of what the situation is. Bases loaded in the 12th inning or, or first at bat in the first inning. You know, they, they just look so calm and, and so composed. And, and rarely do, do you see him you know, have a bad swing, like like he got really fooled or, or, or something like that. You, you you just don't see it, you know, you know, in a hitter of that caliber. The Twins pitching staff has been the pleasant surprise, of course. They've uh, turned the tables, and whatever everybody talked about, they're going to have to win 9-8, you know, that's how they're going to win games, and obviously it's been the opposite so far. When, when you look at their starting staff, uh, I watched Chris Archer the other day. He's going to be an interesting follow because he's had some good innings, and then he's tired, and he's, you know, lost. But when you see him from a catcher's standpoint, what do you see? 
I see. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he gets himself into a little bit of trouble. You know, as mm-hmm. we saw yesterday. You know, I think overthrowing or losing concentration, um, and next thing you know, he he he, he loses you know uh, sense of the strike zone. But if as he progresses more, you know, as he gets more innings under his belt as a Minnesota Twin, uh, I think that potential to regain some of the uh, attributes that he had uh, is not that far away. You know, I like that slider he throws. I think he commands his fastball for for the most part. You know, when he's when he's on, um, he has good pace of the game. Uh, you know, he, he keeps the defense on its toes. You know, so they're ready to make plays for him. Joe Ryan is young. He threw the opener, then he threw at Fenway Park and threw a gem. Then he won to nothing. Uh, he threw part of it uh, when they played uh, uh, against Kansas City the other night. Are there guys like that that you've seen that come up and it doesn't matter how young they are, they're unfazed by the big leagues? Because that's kind of what he looked like last year and into this year. There, there are, and I wish I had the magic uh, uh, diet, you know, yeah, the rice every day for the guy. But when you find a guy like that, that that's pretty special. Um, because as we all know, we we have handfuls of of players who you know come up, they go down, they come up, they go down, they come up, they go down, they do good in AAA, they get up to the big league, then they 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 falter. So when you can get a guy who's uh, uh, confident enough but humble enough that still wants to learn and that, that that's not in awe of where he's at is pretty special. And he seems to be showing that. And, and, you know, again, the, the thing we always talk about baseball, you know, 162 games, you know, you know, it's a long season, but I also want to jump on board when you do see someone getting off to a good start like that and someone holding his composure, uh, it gives you, it gives us Twins fans, you know, a lot to be hopeful about. Now, Tony LaRusso was your manager and he came back and of course they won the division title last year. And I kind of root for him quietly because, you know, just because it's fun to see old school guys and all those things. But he he must have been sick to his stomach because they threw the ball around this weekend like I've never seen uh, Tim Anderson and Abreu and a pitcher's throw to first base. I mean, they, they gave the Twins more opportunities and more runs than I could imagine. As you watch that, is that Anderson in a funk? Is that a short spring training? What did you see? Yeah, it's it, it's so uncharacteristic of of Tony's style of managing. I mean, cross the T's and dot the I's. I mean, I remember when we were in Arizona and we get one rain out. I think in three years during spring training, uh, he had the traveling secretary get a gym rented. You know that mm. we could do stuff in the gym because he didn't want he didn't want to miss you know a day of of, of spring training because he had it all calcul- calculated out about what drills and what things we had to do and how many reps we had to take. So I doubt that that philosophy has changed from him. Yeah, and as far as Anderson goes, absolutely. I mean, I think we talk so much about hitters funks. You know, I, I think it's more prevalent. You know, when you see a guy over ten, over twelve, or a lot of strikeouts, or not put putting the ball in play very, very hard, but when you see a, a, a an infielder who we know is a is a is a great shortstop, when you see him all of a sudden struggling a little bit, you know he's he's getting the bad hop, you know the ball's rattling around in his glove a little bit, he's making errant throws, you know it's one of those things that he yeah he is in that that defensive funk, and you know the way to get out of that is is yes more grounders, more repetition, and more success in games, and you know before you know it he's going to be where. He wants to be, and I think where all the Chicago fans expect him to be as well. But what's scary about it, I'm sure, when you, when you had players like that, when you're catching and whatnot, is you, know, you, you can do some things to maneuver around a hitter in the lineup. If it's a key situation, you can pinch it. You, the ball will find those guys, and, 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 and you know, you, you can't predict when you're going to get a ball hit to you, right? 
No, and and I know you know I, I can say it as a catcher because you know you're trying to set that hitter up. You're you're trying to work him, and the pitcher makes his pitch, and, and we have the right pitch selection, and we get that routine two to three hopper to any infielder. We're like, yeah, you know, as you're running down the first baseline, backing up 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 the going, yes, one out or two out yeah. or out of the inning or something like that. And then I'm like, oh, what happened? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, no, no, we can't do that. You know, and and good, you cannot give. Uh, consistently good teams that that extra out you know and and a lot of the the, the teams that when we were doing well in Oakland the uh, the untalked about number was our defense you know we, we were ranked you know two three four in in, in the league for defense because we didn't give the other team extra chances to score runs and you know, that's going to come back and bite anybody Last question, would you have liked to have caught in the shift era just just to see what, I mean, is it interesting to you? Does it intrigue you at all? Forget catching. I'd have loved to hit in the shift era because <laughs> you go ahead and shift me. I'm going the other way, Mike. <laughs> yep. I mean, you know, the next day in the paper, it's going to be four for four. I don't care if there are four bunts to third base because, you know, they're playing me the other way. And, yeah, so I, I mean, I find the shift intriguing. I know they have their numbers. I know they have the an- analytics. But I have said this all along, you know, and I'm sure we've talked about it many times, is why hitters just don't – you're a major league hitter. You know how to, you know, hit the ball to different parts of the field. And all you have to do is do it a couple times, and next thing you know, the shift is gone. You know, yeah. and and so, yeah. I Is it just that hard me, for guys to commit themselves to trying to do something different or what? That's a good question. Uh, see, for us, it was simple. And I bet if you talk to winning teams, they say it's simple because what do I have to do today to win the game? Yeah. All right. And if that's me bunting, uh, you know, because the third baseman is playing shortstop, so be it. We had, we had McGuire and Conseco bunted many times, you know, because third baseman didn't shift, but they were playing in left field. You know, so yep. all you had to do is get it by the pitcher, and more so with Conseco than McGuire. But if if Conseco got on for some of those years, he was he was a base stealing threat. You know, so so why why wouldn't you take advantage of that? And it, I don't know. It kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit when I hear either uh, 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 players or whatever. Yeah, that was kind of a cheap shot. You know, we had the shift and then the guy bunted. I go cheap shot. To me, you just played by the rules, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Hey, Terry, this always goes too quick. Thank you so much. Always fun to visit with you, and I hope we can do it again soon. Yes, always a pleasure. Didn't mean to ruin your night with that going to sleep yeah, with the Cook Brothers open. Like I said, I'm going to have a hard time (laughs) sleeping tonight. Thanks again, Dana. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Terry. (laughs) The Cook Brothers are sleep yeah, boy. Anybody that knows that knows exactly what we're talking about. Good guys, too. It's just that you felt like since they lived in Sleepy Eye, they might be a little bit biased to Sleepy Eye when you played against them. Texting <clears throat> uh, back and forth with Dina Kicker throughout the ice fun because Dana and, and Terry grew up right by each other in uh, Fairfax in New Orleans, played against each other. They were a year apart uh, over the years. And uh, I think one year they were like, I don't know, like seven or eight players from that, that general area that were drafted into the pro baseball was uh, Terry and one of his brothers and a couple others from New Ulm and Dina Kicker and um, Harmon from Morgan and Dina, uh, Barry Wolder might have been drafted that year. Anyway, there was, there was one year where they, they, like all these guys got drafted into uh, professional baseball. And uh, I'll tell you what it did. 
helped give us a better chance than old Errol Wilson League players what it did once all those guys finally got out of the way, man. <laughs> Clear them out. <laughs> Don't have to face kicker <laughs> or the Steinbox. That's not a bad deal. Plenty more to come. The draft is going on this uh, this week on Thursday, the first round, of course. Bill Welley trains a lot of the players that are preparing for the draft. Now, I want to know what teams really want to know about the players they might draft because they ask him those questions. Do they just want to know their physicality? Do they want to know how they train? I don't know. But I want to know what he knows about the draft prospects and what those teams look for when they get to this uh, this juncture and they're about ready to step up and, and make multi-million dollar investments in 21-year-old kids. We will do that when we come back on Sports to the Max. Welcome back, Sports to the Max. Joining us on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, Bill Welly. My man, he trains guys that have been first-round picks to fifth-round picks to free agents to playing in the CFL and beyond. He's trained them all in the NFL, ongoing. And it's always interesting to get his perspective, especially draft week, as to what they're looking for. Bill, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Maxie. Do you have a pretty good idea with the guys you work with over the years? Uh, do you have a pretty good idea where they're going to get drafted, or is it a crapshoot for you, too, when, as you get towards the day? Yeah, it's a crapshoot for me, too. You know, you, you you don't know what a team's going to take, right? So yeah. as the draft happens, it's, uh, you know, all of a sudden wide receivers start dropping or, or offensive linemen, so you kind of get, you know, where, where they go, they go. Now, when when you're training guys and, and teams or coaches call you and they and they want to know what about what are the common questions that you would get from coaches or scouts or teams? You know, a lot of times it's just character. What mm-hmm. kind of what kind of person? Is, you know, what does he show up early? Does he stay late? Does he? You know, how does he interact with um, you know other athletes that are training? That's that's been the mainstay. Like they they really look at character, uh, especially as of the last. I'd say probably the last five, six years. Really, it's become more of an important ingredient, or they understand that to be more important? Is that what's happened? I think it's, yeah, I think they understand that it's, a, it's an important ingredient that, that you want to have, you know, obviously quality individuals as a part of your organization, but to see it from somebody else's perspective, right, that had to deal with them on a, on a day-to-day basis, or, you know, they'll get, obviously, they, they dig, they dig a lot. You know, they meet with with other coaches, position coaches, head coaches, and try to get their you know their feel of where the athletes at. But yeah, I've gotten I've gotten quite a few calls on on what's the athlete like. You know, Tony Dungy oh, told me once. He said, you know, you'll hear a team say, "Well, we had no idea when somebody misbehaves." He said, "Baloney." If you want to, if you want to draft for character, you can draft for character because you have plenty of coaches and scouts that can go find out and you have plenty of ways to figure out whether or not a guy has character. You should never be surprised if there's an ongoing issue with character. Do you agree? I absolutely agree for sure. I mean, they, even at the combine, you know, they, they have the equipment manager walking around and, and just saying hi to, you know, whomever and, and get a feel for what that, that interaction looked like. Yep. Um, so yeah, you never know. What is the toughest position to train uh, an athlete? Let's say they come to you after their college season, and now they're going to go to the draft, and they want improvement. You know, to get their stock up for the combine into the draft. What's the toughest position to improve in a short period of time? Um, it kind of depends on how long I have. Really, mm-hmm. 
this year I had uh, Cordell Bolson who played mm-hmm. in the national championship game yeah. on that Saturday night. And he was in the facility on Monday morning. And I'm like, how do you feel? He's like, Bill, I'm beat up. So yeah. we had to take a full week just to kind of deload him and, and get him recovered. And then he went to the senior bowl. So I lost him for another call it six days. Um, and so I really only had four to five weeks to train with him. So those are the hard ones. It's not necessarily by position. It's more about how much, what the timeline looks like, you know, for, for the guys coming in. Bill Willie is our guest trainer extraordinaire. Now, I've heard it said that uh, offensive linemen are the toughest ones to convert into the NFL because it, the, 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 the passing schemes they use in, in college, the run schemes are so much different than the NFL. And, and, and what they're looking for is who can bend. Can you teach a guy to bend or if they're stiff, are they stiff? Um, within reason, uh, you know, some, some of it's genetic. But, uh, you know, with our program, we do a lot of – we work on Pilates twice a week, so we're working on flexibility. We actually have uh, Alex Boone working with us right now sure. who is actually teaching them the the, the verbiage, um, you know, whether it be uh, from playbook or just the X's and O's overall just to make them a little bit more professional and understanding what's going to happen when they they walk in and what the terms look like. Bill, one of the things that uh, a lot of just about all athletes want to want to increase in is quickness. And I've I've often wondered, you know, nature versus nurture, all those things. How much can you increase a player's quickness? Well, the there's a difference between being quick and being fast. So when we're talking about the forty yard dash, right? Um, when you look at the 10 yard dash and you compare a wide receiver to a defensive back, to a linebacker, to a running back, those numbers aren't that different. You mean those first 10 yards? Yeah, that first 10. Which which is where most of the game would be played, right? Correct. And that's that quickness portion. So it's, it's harder to, you know, it's, you can develop it. Don't get me wrong. Um, But where I saw the biggest, success this year of the guys that we had training were our offensive linemen. They improved the most because they were really coachable. They um, had never worked on, you know, a 40 start and how to get out. They're always, you know, two steps and I'm done. Yep. Uh, two step, two, three steps, right. Or the kick stepping. And for them to, to pick it up, they were, they were great about um, being very coachable and uh, real, real fun, fun group to be around. Let's say you guys looking for just that extra burst at the line of scrimmage, a running back, a flank, or something like that in college, or, or, or going to the pros. Yeah, can, can you do toe raisers? Can, you know, calf. In other words, isolate the calf. Those kinds of things for quickness, or not necessarily. There is a portion of strength and power that comes through that. Um, I, I would more work on, like, obviously you have to develop strength, but it's that first step explosion and trying to get you to get out of that break. Um, you know, we had Spencer Rattler in right after Christmas and we were working on just uh, analyzing what he needs to work on. And he said, Bill, every time I drop back and I try to get out of the pocket, like I seem like I've, I've lost a half a step, but we found out that, yeah, he was, he wasn't trusting himself to push off with his right leg, he would actually false step. And so is it teachable? Yeah, you can teach that powerful first step, but it's it's something that, that a lot of people don't address. So, so like when you get a rattler and you don't know what system he's going to be in, et cetera, 
What what are the things that you would do for a, a, a situation like that that are universal to no matter where you go that you need to do to test out well? I'm gonna. We checked him for uh, shoulder stabilization. We did some some biodex testing in our biomechanics lab. So we figured out where he was strength wise, like quad versus hamstring compared to the other quad and hamstring. Um, we did a little bit of force velocity profiling and vertical jump uh, testing on our force plates. So all of that information we can compile and say, okay, here's what your corrective exercises look like. Here's where your force leaks are. And then we literally gave it to, for instance, his situation. We gave it to the South Carolina and said, here's what we think he needs to work on. Here's his corrective exercises that we think you should add into their program. And they were super appreciative. And they, and they took that information and worked with it? Yep. Yep. Huh. What about Larry Fitzgerald? What, what, what made him freakish? What, what did he do? Because it seemed like he grew into an unbelievable football player. Yeah, Larry was, was a different style of receiver. So what Larry would do is he would bring in, like in the summers, would bring in a Andre Risen. He would bring in Chris Carter. He brought in Jerry Rice one year. He brought in Roy Green, great uh, wide receiver for the Cardinals. Um, and pick their brains about like how they played the game and how they played receiver and try to make one little snippet of their game into his. And, and he would constantly work at his craft every year would say, Bill, what do I need to work on? And we would, you know, dial it back and say, okay, here's what I saw last year. Here's what I think we can improve on. And he constantly worked at his craft to make himself better. Like, like you know, he was a ball boy. His story well documented for the for the Minnesota Vikings back in the day when Carter and Moss were there, etc. Do you think that doing that, he developed um, instincts that became second nature because he watched the best and was around the best so much that you, that that he did things that he didn't even have to think about that that were an unfair not an unfair advantage, but a huge advantage to say other receivers as he went through college. I think that certainly didn't hurt him at all. You know, being around those types of athletes and seeing what their day to day routine. Obviously, Chris was a a hard worker when it came to um, his receiving ability and and what he tried to do to work at his at being good at his position and i think he he's he's credited chris with saying you know what he he helped me get my work ethic to where it was at it, you know it, there's always next man up right and oh, so, yeah so if you know he doesn't want to lose his job but uh there's always a guy that's coming after him and so he had to try to stay on top of that and that's i think that's where a lot of of athletes kind of get stuck in a uh, mold of, well, you know, I was the best as, as at college or, and when they get to the pros, they're all good. And so, you know, figuring out how to maximize yourself and figure out what your weaknesses are. You know, I, I think Adam Thielen is another great example of a hard worker that, Hey, he's worked at his craft to make himself successful and figure out, you know, how to, to stay in the game and, and make it so that you you are there for the long haul. And he's also proof that there's a lot of things that can be learned, right? I mean, he ties defensive backs in knots because of what the, his commitment to learning the game, which anybody can do, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, if you're willing to commit yourself and you have enough retention to do it. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at your top receivers ever in the NFL, the Jerry Rices of the world, the Chris Carters, the Anquan Boldens, um, I'll put – 
Randy in there. Um, but, you know, of those uh, top receivers, Antonio Gates, how many of them were fast? Uh, Randy, right? Randy yep. was really fast. But everybody else was – it's not that they were slow – but they were they could create separation, and that's the difference. And and especially at the next level, if you can get separation, that's then you're open. Then you're you're having defensive players truly play defense be, versus yeah. being stuck on you. Is it is that hard to teach separation, or can most guys figure it out if they hit the minimum for speed? Um, it has to be taught. Honestly, like that's one of the things I'm, I've been emphasizing as of late is how to teach separation and how to load and decelerate and how to accelerate out of that those breaks and knowing when to make that cut and i mean i mean i remember mike zimmer showing us once in a, in a film he said and i won't say what player it was he says he needs to line up on this hash he consistently lines up six inches off this hash now here's what happens if you line up six inches off that hash you're now six inches removed six yards down the field from making your break and therefore the defensive back has a chance to reach out and and knock down whatever pass is coming your way on the slant because you just gave him six inches and you go, holy cow. But that's the detail that goes into it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. There's There's been many a, a case, and again, I won't, same, same with me, I won't mention the player, but yeah. where where they they would, they were supposed to run a quick out and uh, it's, it's third and four and they ran the route and ran it to six yards. Well, that's it's about timing and about separation, and just being off that little bit ended up as a, as a fourth down. And last, the ball. last, the Vikings. They talk about grabbing a cornerback in the first round. If there's one there, shut down corner. Is that an easy one for you to evaluate if you get him in camp? Because a guy either can play corner or not, or is there more to it than that? Or is it flat out the great ones just say, "I'm going to lock him down and, and try throwing on me." Um, I think it's a combination of all of that. It's, it, it is hard to evaluate. You get to see certain players go up against um, really good players. You'll see uh, players that will go up against average players, and you have to kind of assess where they're at. Um, but, yeah, it's, I look at feet and how well they get in and out of those breaks, and that's, that's part of it. But also, you know, there's uh, I'll use Dale Carter as, a, as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Vikings said, all right, you got that guy. Everybody else, here's what we're running. Like, that's how good he was, right, for yep. ability. So there, there, is, there is a piece to that, too. And that's where they get paid really, really well if you can say, you got that guy, and we don't have to worry about <laughs> you. <laughs> hey, Bill, always appreciate it. Thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you soon. You got it, Maxie. Take care. You bet. Bill Willie, one of the trainers extraordinary, was trained throughout the country with a number of different great players. Mike Zimmer coached Deion Sanders, and he had he told me this story once about Deion when he came, when Deion first came to the Dallas Cowboys, and Zimmer was his defensive backs coach. I'll share it with you when we come back. Stay with us. So Mike Zimmer meets Deion for the first time. They sit down in an office, and Mike had this theory. He says, some guys that are great players want to be coached, and some don't. And you just ask them right away, do you want to be coached? Do you want us to break your game down and think we can make you better or whatever? Or do you not want to, and, and you just function better without being coached because you know your position so well? And he said, Dion took out a piece of paper and a pen, and he said, see this X, that's me. See this O, that's their best receiver. I'll go wherever that O goes, and that's all you need to know about me. Period. I'm the X, he's the O. You tell me who the O is, and I'll be the X, and then you don't have to worry about me. You can figure out the rest of the guys. That's all, I, that's all you need to know. <laughs> and he said that worked out pretty well. 
Tubbsy, if you were a general manager and it's draft week and you and you've decided that you know the person meets all the physical specs that you would require to draft them, and now you want to find out if if they if they fit, you know, if, if they're going to be a good fit, what would be the one question you would ask? To the person, let's just say that knew the most about that person, what would be the one question that you would ask that would tell you whether or not they had the character that you thought was sufficient to be a part of your organization or to be what you wanted? I guess can they handle adversity? Because how somebody handles when things are not going well, to me, that's a big indicator of of character. Because some people fold, some people lash out. Some people put their head down and grind. So I would want to know what they're like when you got a little bit of a challenge ahead of you. If you ask the question, are they a good teammate, mm-hmm. what would you mean by that? In other words, what, what is your definition of what a good teammate is? Well, Because yeah, everybody has different definitions yeah, of this. Yeah, I, I guess if I want to know if somebody's a good teammate, you know, are they willing to step up and do extra work? Are, are they willing to you know, build up their teammates? Do they tear them down? Like, how, how do they interact with their other teammates? So, you know, t- to me, again, that's that's just one of those really subjective... I kind of, of think it is, too, because yeah. some people might keep to themselves, and so, therefore, they're not this big cheerleader, blah, 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 but they're a great teammate. And, because and they might they, think that they're reclusive. Yeah, they're not yeah. reclusive, though. They just, you know, they, that's just not their style. We come back, Troy Bell. He played for the Memphis Grizzlies. We'll talk to him about the series next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.